Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Well, good evening. Glad you're all here. Yeah, I took a different way here this time. I won't do that again. <laughs> it didn't work out as well as last time. So I, don't, I didn't use the GPS this time. I just came my own way, and yeah. I made it. I just was real short on time. So Plus, I had to stay a little bit late at work. It's all right. They paid me for it. In fact, I don't think I checked, clocked out, so I think they're still paying me. <laughs> So I have to remember to fix that after, after church. But it's good to see everybody. How you two doing? Doing all right? I never heard of a. I never heard of a practice surgery. I mean, I guess it's better than than messing up on the day of the surgery <laughs> if, you, if they go through the motions ahead of time. Very interesting. Okay. Never heard of that, but... Okay. Where are you going? Is that in Mobile? Yeah, Mobile. Interesting. Well, we'll be praying about that. I know, right? I changed my mind. Well, (laughs) yeah. Wow. Anybody here from the Hill Buns in in their travels? I got up at. 3 a.m. on Monday, Monday morning, Sunday night, <laughs> to drive them to the airport. and got halfway there and got a text message that their flights were canceled. <laughs> yeah. No, no, and I, um, 
Yeah, I hadn't picked them up yet. I was on the way to their house, so we weren't on the way to Mobile yet. Right. But, uh, so they, he said he was flying out today and that he had arrangements, so I, I was just checking to see if anybody heard from him. Got a lot going on. Um, something to pray about. I, I don't know what's going to come of it, you know, as people talk. And I don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to take these things. But uh, a pastor called me last night from Central Florida and was interested in learning more about the church debt. And they're planning to take up an offering for the church in a meeting they have upcoming to, to help us with some of the expenses. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't even know if it's actually going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, they're going to take... So this church, um, I'm trying to remember what happened. They sold a building or, I don't know, something happened and they end up with a large amount of money and so they have been spending a lot of money on other churches, missionaries, you know, things like that. And um, they have a big conference coming up. And in, in preparation for that conference, they want me to make a video and take some pictures and have some things prepared so that they can show during the conference. And the plan, the way he roughly told me last night, is that they're going to take up an offering and... He didn't say this directly, but I think the intent is for that offering to help with our debt. So um, pray about that. Um, I don't want to get my hopes up or anything like that. Or, you know, they have no, they have no requirement to help us or anything of that sort. So um, just pray about it. Even if they don't have money to send to us, pray that their conference goes well. And, and we're thankful that they even thought about us. But... Um, so we'll see. He, he found out that I was working and trying to get the church up and going and wanted to talk to me about the difficulties of that. <laughs> so uh, we, we had a good conversation last night. He's a good man. So just pray about that. We'll see how that goes, what comes of it. Uh, I probably won't mention it again until they mention it to me because you just never know. So something might come of it or nothing may come of it. You just don't know. So, um, so we will pray, about, pray for them, pray about that situation, see what the Lord does, see how it goes. Romans chapter 1. Uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks. So, yeah, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. What recliner? Well, is it an accusation if it's true? <laughs> As you sit. <laughs> All right. Romans 1, verses 8 through 15. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. 
For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another good night, another good day to be here and and to worship you and to learn from your word and to have your word build us, build us and strengthen us and uh, correct us and teach us. We shall pray for your help tonight and thank you for your goodness to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in, um, in verse 9, uh, and I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce you to the idea that we're going to look at. In verse 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always, always in my prayers. Now, it, it's very interesting um, it, it's, there is a relationship to what we talked about on Sunday and to what we're going to look at today. But we're looking at how the Apostle Paul says, I serve with my spirit in the gospel. And not, not just that, but, but he calls God as his witness. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine being able to stand before a world of people and saying, God is my witness. I am his servant in the gospel. And now, what, what, but what I want to demonstrate to you tonight, if, if I ever get my notes up, is that what comes with that, when he makes that statement, what comes with that is a massive responsibility. Um, when, when, he, when, he makes that, when he makes that statement, he is introducing himself to the people at Rome as a servant of Jesus Christ calls God to his witness of that fact. And, and so by saying that to them, he is telling them that, that I, I, there's a certain expectation you should have of me. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And based on that fact, the, the world, the people around us, they all know that Christians should act a certain way. Now, they're not going to act that way, but they're just waiting for you to mess up. <laughs> It's interesting how, how much lost people absolutely know about the Christian life, and, and they want to they take you to task on it, but they're not going to do it for themselves. Yeah. They, they know exactly what God expects. They know that Christians aren't supposed to lie. They know Christians aren't supposed to drink. They know Christians aren't supposed to watch dirty movies or have a f- filthy language. Or, uh, I mean, if you, they know that none of that is supposed to exist, but they'll do it themselves. And they're okay with them doing it. It's just, you better not do it. And the moment they see you do it, the second they see you do it, oh, now now I know I don't need to trust in Jesus. You've just justified my mindset. You've just justified my my thought process that this is all fake and there's nothing to it. All right, now let's try to get through this introduction, try to make sense of all this, and, um, and then go home and get out of the cold. Thank you for coming, Ms. Hazel. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad we're glad to have you here. 
All right, in our lives as Christians, there, there should exist a, a running theme that dominates our motives and our thinking and our decisions and our actions. And that dominating theme should be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's difficult, again, to think about in the moment when something is happening, that there's, something, there's a bigger picture here. There's something that's more important than me. There's something that uh, when it comes to this interaction, as it might turn into something negative, it's so easy to get caught up in the moment and, you know, let them have it. I mean, Miss Kathleen does that all the time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so what, what, it, it is required of us to take a step back though we don't always do it, and I have to certainly include myself in this, and to consider that the lost soul standing in front of us needs the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we might have to let some people stomp on our toes a little bit to a certain extent so that their soul can be considered and that they'll think about Jesus Christ. Now, if they did wrong and I go out of my way to demonstrate to them what a dumb thing they did and it works, are they going to listen to me when I want to tell them about Jesus Christ? But I was right. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I, but I was correct. They were wrong. It doesn't matter. And we don't get to approach life like that. It, it's just the way it is. And so if we can use each interaction in our life for nothing more than an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus and his death on the cross, we should be careful to do so. Now, if we're unable to get that person the full description of the gospel in that moment, then we should give them the gospel at least in part. Give them something that will help them understand what Christ did for them, along with a good attitude. <laughs> if you're gritting your teeth saying, Christ died for you, you <laughs> that's not going to do it. <laughs> and if you're frustrated and angry, and you might have a valid reason to be frustrated and angry, but again, that person's soul is, is on the line, and we want to be careful with that. Give them what you can. And also interact with, with, uh, with them in such a way as to leave a good reputation. Paul could say, Paul said this. I wouldn't say this. I wish I could say this. But Paul said, God is my witness. I serve Jesus Christ. I serve with my spirit. That's a lowercase s. Paul is saying, I have taken this body, this mind, and I have put it to work serving Jesus Christ. Nobody has to make me. Nobody comes and checks on me. Nobody forces me. I don't have someone standing over me, supervising me and pushing me into service of Jesus Christ. He said, I have decided I am going to serve the Lord and you can call God himself as a witness. That's a big statement. Now, I, nobody is standing over me, watching me, forcing me to do any of this. I, I, I enjoy it. I love it. But I just, I, I, what I'm telling you is, I don't know that I can approach this with that level of confidence. <laughs> Though I wish I could. It, it, it's, it's a pretty incredible statement. Now, when, when he was a tent maker, it was service with the Spirit. It was, it was service with the Spirit in the gospel of his Son. So, just because he's working doesn't mean he set service to Jesus Christ aside. It's because he goes grocery shopping doesn't mean, well, this is not time to serve Jesus. This is time to buy groceries. Like it's, it's, all, it's all packaged in together. It's a part of the process. 
when we go to the hospital, when we go to the doctor, when we go to the grocery store, we, whatever it is we do, we do everything as unto the Lord and for his honor and his glory. And so we got to act right. Miss Pat? Yes. <laughs> Amen. I'm not accusing you, I'm just... Now, when we announce to the world that we are servants of Jesus, that idea comes with certain expectations. And like we said a moment ago, the world has standards for itself, but they, they have no standards for itself, but they certainly have standards and expectations for Christians. Even if they make a standard, they'll break it in five minutes. They don't care. But let, if, if they see you do it, oh, there, there's those hypocritical Christians and and so they can live as hypocritically as they want, but because there's no standard, there's no expectation that they're supposed to do right, they don't care. It doesn't matter. They just do what they want. It's, it's, a, it's an unfair game. But that's how it is. You have the Holy Spirit. They don't. <laughs> you have Jesus Christ. They don't. And so uh, they would love nothing more than to see you violate their expectations so that your actions serve to validate their predisposition that God's people are hypocrites. That's what they want. They want to see you loaf around at work. They want to see you steal from your boss. They want to see you flirting with some, some woman that's not your wife. Uh, they want to hear you say a word that they don't think Christians should say. Now, we shouldn't be doing any of those things ever at any time, uh, but... but that is a lifestyle for them. But the moment they see you do something they don't think is becoming of a Christian, like, oh, there you go. That's how you Christians are. It's like, I mean, you robbed four people yesterday. And, and, and you know, like, it doesn't matter. You know, they, 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 their actions are justified, yours are not. And that's just how it is. Now, this is relevant to our passage because Paul is going to, to make an important connection in his letter to the Romans. He said in verse 8, you are a people whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And I am a man who serves your God. He's, remember, he's introducing himself to these people. And he's tying their relationship together. Based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, which is about his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He keeps including that whole package in together, and he's, he's linking them together with these statements. Now, with that, he set their expectations for who he is and how they could assume he would act. We learned last time that their faith, so widely spoken of, was in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I serve that same Jesus with a, with a special bond, this creates a special bond and forms an understanding of who Paul is, and, and, and that is now established in their minds. Now, when I, when I meet somebody who says they're a Christian, well, I start, my mind starts here, really broad, because <laughs> that can mean a lot of things. And then as we talk, it, it might get narrowed a little bit. I say, okay, we're, we're, we're getting a little closer. And then as we talk some more, it might get narrowed a little bit more. As I learn more about them, if they have a King James Bible, if their wife dresses like a woman. I mean, that's amazing today to find a woman who dresses like a woman. And a man who doesn't, you know, get his fingernails done and all this garbage. It's just, it, it, men are weak 
and women are domineering. And so if, if they start showing examples of that, I mean, it, we could talk later. We could talk. <laughs> Sorry, brother. <laughs> but that, that's where things are today. Women think nothing about overstepping bounds that God didn't give them. And they could care less about it. They, they want to be dominant. They want to be in control. They want to be like men. And then when something happens, they want the men to come and take care of it. <laughs> and, and that's just, it's, it's, it's hypocritical. All right. Now, but the, the problem is not just with women. It would be one thing to deal with a domineering woman. I mean, that's, that's a valid problem that God would have us deal with. But the other side of that problem are a bunch of weak, effeminate men who won't step up and take the place of leadership that they're supposed to take. That does not justify a loudmouth woman overstepping her bounds, but it's also not okay for a weak man to not assume the responsibility that God gave him. Both need to be put in their proper place, and when you do put both in their proper place, you have a beautiful relationship, it works wonderfully, and, and, and things flourish. But as long as those things are out of whack and they are completely out of whack in this country, then I mean, we have a woman running for president right now and she's stronger than most of the men that were running for president. Now, that both of those are problems. <laughs> Neither of those is OK. All right. So it's 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 bad that we have a domineering woman who wants to be president. It's also bad that she's doing so well because we have a bunch of weak men who, who won't step up and do what they're supposed to do. And as long as things remain that way, this country is going to continue on its downward slope and, and, and into confusion. And so my whole point in mentioning all of that is, as, as somebody tells me, well, I'm a Christian. Well, are you like a skinny jeans, contemporary music type Christian? Because, I mean, praise the Lord, I'm glad you're saved, but we're probably not going to get along well. Are you, are you an NIV, uh, women preachers, you know, like if, if you're that kind of Christian, I mean, if you if you listen to what, what's the woman with the crew cut? What's that woman's name? The yeah, Joyce Meyer. If you listen to Joyce Meyer and you think that's OK, look, we got a problem. All right. Now, I mean, I, if you're saved, you trust in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. I'm happy for you. But you and I are probably not going to get along well. All right. I don't want us to not get along. But but what you've done is you've you've set an expectation for me. You've given me an understanding of who you are. By those connections. Now, when I meet a guy and he says, I, I, I believe we should just use the King James Bible. And, and, and I believe that salvation is by grace through faith. And that men should be pastors. And, and, and men should be deacons. And, you know, and, and, and it goes on and on. It's, it's sounding more and more and more like this is someone that I would be doctrinally comfortable with. And the more we talk, the more we get to know each other. Maybe we'll find some problems. But for the most part, the expectation has been set that this is a more fundamental, probably more sound Christian that we could fellowship with. Paul just told these people, your faith in Jesus Christ is spoken of around the whole world. By the way, I serve that Jesus. And if you don't believe me, ask God. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. And so now these people know, okay, the man writing this letter is somebody we should pay attention to. Somebody we should listen to. Now, if Paul failed to measure up to, the, to, to that expectation, either his own reputation would be harmed or damage would be done in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And the same is true for us. If we publicly profess to belong to Jesus Christ, then our attitude, actions, relationships, etc., should demonstrate congruence with that name. And if it doesn't, we're making a terrible mistake. We're going to encourage people to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ because we say one thing and do another. We claim to be a part of something that people expect to be uh, morally sound, morally conservative, and then we run out and do things that are completely contrary to that. It, 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 it's a clash of ideas. It doesn't fit. It's not going to work. And so Paul is setting the tone. He's telling these people, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And man, I, I want to come see you. I want to teach you. I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. I want to spend time with you. And, and so he's, he's informing these people exactly who he is. Now, this idea of service in the gospel is directly related to how we act. And so we're going to look at several passages quickly uh, about that, that very idea of if you're going to claim to serve God, you're going to claim to belong to Jesus Christ, you're going to claim to live and serve in the gospel, well, then there's a certain attitude and a certain, and certain behavior that is expected of you, not by me. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you got to listen to this music, cut your hair this long, wear this type of clothes, do this, do that. That's, that, that is why Baptist churches are dying around the world. Because me, as the pastor, I have a certain taste and, and, and certain standards that I want. And if you don't follow them, then you're not right with God. That, that's, that's not going to work. That's why Baptist churches die. No, what I'm going to show you is what God says is expected of you. It's not that we don't have standards and expectations. We absolutely do. But we're going, to do our, we're going to do our best, and we're going to try to be careful to let God set those expectations, not, not a bunch of men who, who have weird ideas about what glasses you should wear, how you should cut your hair. Yeah. That's none of my business, but you and God. What I want to show you is what God expects of you if you're going to live in the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 16 through 22. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16 through 22. Verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do, these thing, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Now listen to what he says here. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel... I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Huh. Raise your hand if you've done that. <laughs> that's, a, that's another big statement. That I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the, the, the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. 
That's an incredibly humble way to approach life. Now, what Paul just said is, I don't care about me. What do you need in order for me to be able to get you the gospel? What, what do you need in order for me to be able to build a relationship with you so that I can make the gospel free and available to you in your life? That is not how most people approach this. They say, well, I am the way that I am, and it's just how it is. You know, I, I have a certain aspects of my personality, and, and it's just, that's just the way it is. Sorry. Well, I appreciate the, the fake apology, but that's not going to help. Paul said, I don't even like these people, <laughs> but they need Jesus Christ. And I need, to, I need to facilitate an opportunity for me to get them the gospel. So I'm going to be all things to all men. I'm going to sacrifice myself, give up what I want, what I think, how I want things to be done. And I'm going to try to figure out how I can get the gospel to these people. It's a very, it's, it's not a, I, I become all things to all men. He's not a politician trying to steal your vote. This is not a fake thing. This is someone giving up who he is so that he can better serve people that he doesn't know, he doesn't like, he doesn't want to be around. Maybe he does want to be around. Maybe they're from a different culture, a different background, a different financial status. In any of that, none of those boundaries are acceptable we, we have to be able to get the gospel to whoever needs it. And, and that's what Paul just said here. I, I have made all things to all men for nothing more than, than the opportunity to win some of them to Jesus Christ. Approaching life with the gospel at the forefront is, is required of us. Jesus Christ is supposed to be preeminent. Look at 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and we'll read verses 16 through 24. Verse 16. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation. But being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the, the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Now, I want you to, we're going to come back to this in just a second. I want you to think about what he just said. I am sending someone to you. He's not known for his intelligence. He's not praised for his athletic ability. He's not praised for his finances. He is praised because of his service in the gospel throughout all the churches. That's who I'm sending to you. I'm sending him there on my behalf. Now, now the rest of the passage, look at verse 19. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and, and, and declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have, now listen, oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you, whether you do inquire of Titus, he is my partner 
and fellow helper concerning you or our brethren be inquired of. They are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show ye to them, uh, or show ye, uh, wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul says, I'm sending two young men to you, and their praise is in the gospel. Right? That, when people talk about these young men, that, that's what they boast about. They love the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, then he said, there's, there's obviously money involved in this, this interaction. And he said, I'm sending two young men to you, and I so trust their character. I, I so trust them and, and know them to be diligent that when they come and when they act the way they act there, I don't even have to be there to see it. I can tell you exactly what they did, how they did it, when they did it. If you call me and you say, you won't believe what Titus did, you're right, I won't believe you. Because I know Titus, and I trust him. And I have been through so much with Titus, and I've seen how he handles himself and how he acts, that I, I know he's going to come down there, and he's, he's, going to, he's going to be diligent and honest and trustworthy. That's exactly what he's going to do when he comes there. And so he sends them down there, and they do just that. And, and their service is in the gospel. Their goal is to, is to minister to this church who had been in so much trouble and had to be rebuked by the Apostle Paul. And now, now Titus is going there to, to follow up, and, and, and all is well. Praise the Lord. Look at Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll read verses 3 through 11. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Does this sound familiar? Same Paul, writing to a different church, same idea. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. Now listen to what he's confident of. That he that ha he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think uh, think this of you all, because I have uh, you in my heart, and as much as both in my bonds and in the defense of confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record. There he goes again. In Romans, God is my witness. And if, in Philippians, God is my, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray. Now, we're gonna, I want you to look at what he's going to pray. Now, he's talking about this relationship they have in the gospel and, and, and the, the, the unity that comes with that. And now he's going to pray for them. And here's the expectation. He's going to lay it out very clearly. And, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Next, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Next, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of of God. He says, I want your love to abound. I want you to approve things that are excellent. I want you to be sincere and without offense. And I want you to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. 
If you're going to live in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the expectation. Don't be obnoxious just because you can. Your, your goal is to win souls to Christ. But the problem is we, 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 we swell up. We understand we have this relationship with God. It's the same thing Israel did. We have Abraham to our father. Yeah, well, you're going to go to hell if you don't trust in Jesus Christ. And so what we do is, well, I'm a child of God. Well, yeah, but they're not. And if you don't get that chest back down and, and, and talk to them like they're a normal person and try and win them over to Jesus Christ or at least establish a relationship so that you can tell them something about Jesus, they're going to walk away with a nasty taste in their mouth for Christians or at least confirming that they should have one. I can't tell you how many times in Daytona Beach, typically it's in Daytona Beach, sometimes in Deland, rarely in Orlando, but occasionally in Orlando, but many times in Daytona Beach, we would be standing on the street corner, preaching, holding signs, passing out tracts, and a homosexual will come along, and they'll stand about from here to the door and yell and cuss and scream and just rip us up and down. And the whole time we'll be saying, come talk to us. Why don't you come over here? And, and we just keep preaching and ignore them. And, and every now and then we we'll turn to them and say, come here. Eventually they'll come. But then when they get to you face to face, they're going to yell and scream some more. And you just let them. Here's the, because here's the problem. First of all, they know they're living in sin. I mean, that, that's just a reality. They may not want to admit that uh, out, out loud, but they know they're living in sin. And secondly... They're angry because of things they've heard about Christians with absolutely no, no way to know if it's actually true or not. Just I, I heard God hates homosexuals. And so we let them vent, let them get it out of their system. They yell and they scream and they, 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 they say horrible things. But then after a few minutes, they'll start engaging with you and you can talk to them. And. By the time I'm finished with them, I help them understand God doesn't just hate homosexuals. He hates everybody. <laughs> and so you singled yourself out. God hates fornicators. He hates liars. God said that homosexuality is an abomination. He also said a lying tongue is an abomination. Proverbs chapter 6. Now, raise your hand if you've never told a lie. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. And so God said, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. All right, so everybody's a liar. Everybody is an abomination to God. You need Jesus Christ. You don't get to single out a certain sin and say that God is against that. He's against it all. And so they leave understanding, well, God doesn't just hate me. He hates them too. <laughs> but you'll, you'll be amazed at what that does to them. They walk away willing to reconsider this. They may not get saved right there on the spot, and they may not abandon homosexuality on the spot, but they're going to walk away understanding, I had this wrong. God is against sin, and I am a sinner. But he sent his son to die for me. And they may not trust in Jesus Christ in that moment, but they will leave not hating us and willing to at least reconsider the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so important to do that. It's incredibly important. Now, some people get saved on the spot. Some people get saved two years later when they will come across two more Christians who give them the gospel two or three more times. 
But, but that whole series of events of people sowing and plowing and watering and, and, and repeating that process over and over, eventually God is going to give the increase and those people might get saved. But if along the way, instead of sowing, you go and start ripping up weeds <laughs> and rip out some flesh along with it, <laughs> it's just not going to go well. Paul said, don't be an offense. They're already going to be offended by the gospel. They don't need my attitude to help. They don't need my laziness to help. They don't need my procrastination to help. They don't need my, my lack of whatever. Whatever lack that we might have, we need to do our best to strive to do well with people so that they will come to the Lord Jesus Christ and hear the gospel. Now, if they get mad at the gospel and leave, there's nothing you can do about that. They get mad because of your stinking attitude and leave, that's a whole different matter. And, and we don't want that. Look at Philippians chapter 2. We'll finish, finish here. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 22. Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. That's, that's an important little attachment there. He didn't say, I'm sending Timothy. You know, it just, just makes us feel good to send Timothy. <laughs> no, he said, when I, when I send Timothy and Timothy comes back and tells me they're doing good, they're serving the Lord, it's a strong church, then I will be comforted by your state, how you're acting, the way you live. That, that's, that's all... That's all baked into the cake. You've got to have it all together. Uh, verse 20, for I, have, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, uh, not the things which are of Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. That's a good name, Epaphroditus. What do you mean, no? It's a good name. Epaphroditus. That's a good one. I like that one. We can write that one on the list, the short list. Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow, fellow soldier, but your messenger... And he that ministered to my wants. Now, all, all that we're seeing here with all of this, these are men who are following Paul. They are selfless. They are serving others. They are putting others ahead of themselves. And they are comforted by the good behavior of God's people, by, by people who love righteousness and are, and are striving to remove unrighteousness. Excuse me. It's not enough to just say, I'm a Christian. Something needs to follow. It's not enough to say, well, I've been saved. Well, really? Right. <laughs> well, is there any evidence of that in your life? Could, I mean, could you do something to demonstrate you've been saved? I mean, is, is any area of, your area of your life moving in the direction of, of being Christ-like? Or you just keep walking around telling people you're saved while living like a devil? Now, it's... It's possible to do that. There are people in the Bible who did it. But if you're telling me you're saved and you, 
and you willingly choose to disobey the Holy Spirit, disobey the Word of God, disobey Jesus Christ, have nothing to do with God's people, and live like the devil every day, I am very concerned for you. You're making it hard for me to believe that you have trusted in Jesus Christ, that you understood that he was brutally murdered for your sin, and you just go and play in that same sin? I don't, there's a problem there. There's a disconnect there. Something is wrong. Something's not right. And so Paul is setting the tone. The, the Holy Spirit is setting the tone through the Apostle Paul. If you're in the gospel, which if you're saved, you are, there's an expectation of how you're going to live and that you're going to put other people ahead of yourself. And that might mean getting over some things you don't like or don't want in order for them to be able to get the gospel and, and to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy and Titus were two young men among many that Paul could trust to act right and tell the truth. He testified of the fact regarding those young men as repeatedly. Uh, now, we, we had that in Uganda. The Lord helped me to have about four or five young men around me that I was able to prove were diligent, hardworking, honest, and honestly, the ministry that we had there, the lives that we had there, we, we couldn't have done it without them. We, we desperately needed their help. Uh, because if you think it's hard to treat people nice here, come with me to Uganda. <laughs> it's a whole different world. And we, we were greatly helped by young men who loved their people and just needed someone to teach them and help them. I will never be able to minister to Ugandans the way that Ugandans can. It's just not, it's not going to happen. We live in, even when I lived as their neighbor, we were in two completely different worlds. That culturally, we are, we are a million miles apart. It's just not going to happen. But if I can find some young men who can bridge that gap and teach them, which is what the Lord helped us to do, and now they're doing it. I got news today or yesterday, today or yesterday, one of the two. Um, they went out soul winning. I, I helped them to establish a, a, an organized, they already had a door knocking ministry on Sunday evenings. I just helped them bring some order to it and, and organize it. And yesterday, four people got saved when they went out soul winning. So, not, you know, I can go out and try and talk to them. We can't even communicate. It just, it's just not the same. So, the Lord helped me to have a few, a group of men who were, who had great character, who were trustworthy, who loved Jesus Christ, and he let me teach them the Bible, and then they go out, and, and they do an excellent job. They do a great job. Uh, likewise, they're not, they're not coming here and, and winning Americans to Jesus Christ. It's just not going to happen. Um, Culturally, it's just too different. They, they you can't even fathom the way that they live, and they can't even fathom the way that we live. We try and tell them what America's like. It just, it's like when Jesus said, I can't tell you of heaven. You can't even, <laughs> I can't tell you of America. And I can't tell Americans of Uganda. I tell you how poor it is there. And you're like, you're thinking of the National Geographic. And that's not, that's not it. <laughs> that's not how it is there. And so it's just two worlds apart. We, we've got to do our part to get, we got to do what we can to get the gospel in the hands of people who desperately need it. But part of that, the part I don't even like, is you got to be nice to people. 
Right, Miss Kathleen? All right. You know, in, uh, in Uganda, driving in Uganda is horrible. And again, you don't even understand what I just said. Uh, come with me and drive around in Uganda. And, and, and like, you don't, even, you don't even get what I just said. You don't even understand how bad it is. And so I'll be driving, and I'm constantly going, come on! Like, I'm getting aggravated, because they will do... Uh, this is what I, I used to always say. They will take the most incredible risks for the tiniest reward. They will put yours and everybody else's life on the line to get ahead by two inches. It is insane what they do on a road. And so Bethany kept, one day she's walking around the house going, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, daddy, is that what you say when you're driving? I'm like, yeah, daddy should do better. I I shouldn't do that. And so, huh? Oh, yeah, one time I said, you idiot. And so she was walking around the house going, you itty bit. <laughs> and so I, we're, we're in the car again. I told her, I, I sat her down and I told her, you know, I, I really shouldn't do that. It's, you know, I, th- what they did was really bad, but I should keep better control of myself. And so I, I should act better. And so the next time we're in the car, I go, come on. And she said, daddy, are you doing better? I'm trying, baby. <laughs> yeah, out of the mouth of babes. So, so we just we gotta do our best. Try to get along with people. Try to be nice to people. Uh, relationships are important, and that's how people are gonna come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and be a part of this place. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.